This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined, as always, by George Smith. George, how are you? I'm not bad at all, mate. Can't complain too much. How about you? Yes, not too bad, thank you. Uh, Looking forward to the final, which we're going to be previewing on this week's pod, as well as recapping, of course, the semi-finals, which took place on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Really enjoyed the playoff games, as always. The the playoffs across the EFL are certainly not failed to deliver this week some fantastic matches that we've watched and, and none more so than in the championship and in the next hour or so we're going to be dissecting those semi-final matches and giving you a big preview of the final the tactical elements that will come into play and and also reflecting on the stories that this final will obviously be built on given the meteoric rises of Coventry City and Luton Town who will take place for a match that will decide which one goes back to the Premier League after uh, quite a long wait for both of these two clubs. So a massive thank you, first and foremost, to our sponsors, Card Accepted, for supporting the podcast this season. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, make sure you go and visit cardsaccepted.co.uk. They provide a discount on the RRP of all sum-up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. And as always, make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at champchatpod24. And as I say, on the next hour or so, we're going to be taking a look at those championship semi-finals and previewing the big one in less than a week's time. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. George, we'll start in chronological order. So Luton Town 2, Sunderland nil on Tuesday night. The the Hatters overcoming their first leg deficit to win out 2-1, uh, three, sorry, 3-2 three, winners on aggregate. And... If you came away from the stadium of life feeling Luton had not really made the most of their quite obvious uh, physical and height advantage, that that certainly was put to the sword at Kenilworth Road. Set pieces were definitely the difference in this one with Luton scoring both of theirs from corners or or second phase of a corner in in case of Lockyer's goal. Um, Shea Osho heading in the first and and then a good header from Tom Lockyer glanced. He just wanted it more than a big powerful header into the the uh, back of the net. 2-0 2-0 to Luton, and I thought they really set the tone in that first half. You, you, Luton, although you know they'd be confident at Kenilworth Road, given how good their fo- home form has been this season, there were no nerves, were they? They were aggressive, they were on the front foot, they were they were typical Luton, and I thought that first 45 minutes summed up how good they've been under Rob Edwards this season since he took charge. They were fantastic, they were high octane, they were aggressive, they were dominant, and they didn't let Sundon play through the thirds at all. It was a real clash of styles, which made it really fascinating tactically as to who would come out. And Sundon, who have been so good away from home as well, you know, let's not forget Sundon have been better on the road this season than at home because teams tend to come onto them and then they hit them on the counter-attack and then they try and play through them quickly in transition. Well, Luton, in some ways, played to... Sunderland's strengths in the fact that they came onto them. They had to go and get, get themselves level. And they just did it so well that Sunderland, I just thought they couldn't find a way through the thirds. I thought, I wouldn't say the occasion was too big for the young Sunderland group, but they looked stretched. They looked, it was a step too far for them. And it was really difficult for them to really, because they had to work so hard for their chances, I felt. And Luton were creating theirs a lot more freely. And ultimately, that first half performance did the damage. They got 2-0 up at half-time and they never really looked in too much danger, Luton, if I'm being completely honest. And I thought it was a brilliant first half. I thought that is exactly the blueprint of, if you said, what does a Luton Town you know, performance look like? 
thought that first 45 minutes really set the tone and, and showed what they're all about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously Sunderland had been the better side in the first leg, hadn't they? They dominated for long spells after that Adebayo uh, opening goal in the 11th minute. But we knew, obviously, Luton had got to go out and attack Sunderland on Tuesday night. But it wasn't a case where they got to attack relentlessly from minute one. They'd only got to get the one goal to get themselves level. It wasn't as if it was a you know, a massive mountain that they had to climb. It was just a bit of a steep incline, so to speak. But they came out of the traps really quickly. And like you said there, they, they just pumped high balls into the box, particularly from set pieces. And Sunderland just couldn't cope with it. Luton did what they've done all season. They've made Kenilworth Road a real fortress. They've made it hard for opposition teams to, you know, to visit there. And they got in the faces of Sunderland, which was what they didn't do at the Stadium of Light. And you know, that first leg, I was a little bit underwhelmed by Luton because they'd, they'd been on such a terrific run away from home. They, I think it was something like 12, 13 league games unbeaten on the road. Sunderland's home form had been a bit hit and miss this season, to be fair to them. But Sunderland, you know, other than the first 10, 15 minutes, they were the better side in that game. But the roles completely re- reserved, uh, reversed, didn't they, at uh, Kenilworth Road in midweek. Luton, far superior, looked stronger, looked fitter and just looked a lot more hungry to get the win and get the job done. And once that early goal went in from Osho, there was only ever going to be one winner, I thought. Sunderland didn't really get into the game. Obviously, they had the handball shout in the early stages. But other than that, they didn't really get in and around the, the Luton penalty area, did they? Other than in the last five, ten minutes when they had to, you know, throw everything in the kitchen sink at that Luton defence. But Rob Edwards set his team up in a way that made them aggressive, made them play on the front foot. And it was telling in the scoreline. Luton were the better side. They deserved to win the game. And, you know, over the two legs, probably both sides were, you know, they were dominating one of the two games. Sunderland were the better side in the first leg, Luton were better in the second. So it was hard to say that either side really, you know, sort of deserved it overall from, you know, the 180 minutes that we got in in that tie. But based on the second leg, Luton, they just gave so much into it, put everything on the line to get that result. And, you know, it, it was perfect, to be fair to them. So... A massive result for them. Obviously, got the job done three to one aggregate, and they will march down Wembley Way on Saturday for the biggest game in the in the club's history in a very very long time. And for for Rob Edwards, the fact that he he started the season at Luton's biggest rivals down the road in Watford, the fact that he's now got Luton on the cusp of the Premier League is just an absolute fairy tale story. And we're going to look at this fairy tale story a little bit deeper, you know, when we when we go into the segment of previewing the final itself. But as for what we saw on Tuesday night, the better team on the night won. And that was, of course, enough for Luton to get over the line overall. So, you know, based on what we saw on on Tuesday, the the right team won. I thought Luton did a really good job of getting their fullbacks, uh, getting their wingbacks forward. I think it really penned back Sunderland, who, of course, were playing a a back four out uh, out of possession with Patrick Roberts at right back, who, 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 let's be fair, is one of the most attacking wingers you can get, never mind... He's not exactly a hybrid that can play at wing-back, never mind as an out-and-out full-back. Of course, in possession, it was more of a back three with um, Trey Hume playing as the right-sided centre-half, Luton Gooch on the left and Roberts further forward. But I thought Alfie Doughty did really well of exposing Roberts defensively, which is not a criticism of Roberts because he's absolutely out of position. And I thought Dramir down the right-hand side as well. They, they got further forward, they really pinned them in and it allowed Luton to recycle the ball in midfield better and sustain attacks better than they did at the stadium with the light. And, really applied the pressure on that that Sunderland Fredbear back line. Second half, Sunderland just didn't have enough to find a way through, did they? They, they were I think I feel I felt like they were a little bit scared of leaving the back door unlocked. 
I thought some of the substitutions were a little bit questionable. I was surprised Joe Gelhart, although he'd not done a lot, don't get me wrong, I didn't think it was a brilliant performance. Again, he's not really playing, he's not out of position, but he's not playing in the optimum role. He doesn't want to have his, his back to goal and playing as a number nine, really. He wants to be playing off someone. But would you, uh, I thought it was a strange decision to take him off, really. Uh, to bring. I understand bringing a lease on for, for the physicality and for the reshuffle. I, I don't think that was the wrong decision, but sacrificing Gellhart, I thought it was a, str- a strange moment in the game on the hour mark, if I'm being honest. And it just felt like they, they couldn't quite commit to really going for it and really chucking the kitchen sink because they were scared of leaving the back door unlocked. Very nearly did that, although Elise managed to get back with a great tackle to deny Adebayo. If it had been a, a better first touch, I think, from the Luton striker, I think he would have got a clear sight on goal and, and maybe scored. And I get a very similar feeling with Sunderland to what I had with Luton last year, where they probably arrived at the playoffs not quite at optimum level. You know, if you recall 12 months ago, Luton sort of crashed into the playoffs quite late on and didn't really have a fully fit team, did they? They were a little bit threadbare, probably not to the same level as Sunderland have been this year. But it, it was just a step too far for Luton last year against Huddersfield, who were at full strength. And I feel like, again, one goal margin, slender, but Sunderland would, you know, if you chucked Dan Ballard and Ross Stewart back in that team, I think we'd have seen maybe maybe not the, a different result, but we definitely would have seen a different style of game, certainly more of a barrage in that last 10 minutes of pressure. And injuries, I think, just caught up with them. I didn't think they managed to to stem you know that difference and, and you know fairly so, given the amount of injuries they've had. I don't think anyone's had as bad injury luck as Sunderland this season. Couldn't quite muster it. And when we, we look at their season overall, it's been a fantastic debut season back in the Championship. So much to build on as well. Although Ahmad's obviously been the star, they are so much more than a, a one-man team. They've got so many good sellable assets as well if they do need to cash in on someone and reinvest. And I do feel like Sunderland can definitely build on this season and, and go strong again next year with the right additions and a little bit more luck on the in the treatment room. There have been reports this week questioning whether Tony Melby is even going to continue with Sunderland suggested that they're looking at alternative options. Those have died down a little bit now as we record on Sunday. But let's be fair, that would have been an absolute disgrace if they'd have got, if they, they decided to part company with Tony Mowbray and bring someone else in for the job he's done. He has done an amazing job at Sunderland this season. He's nurtured those young players. And for him not to be given the opportunity to build on that next season would, would be a complete farce, in my opinion. Yeah, I fully agree. I mean, when I saw the reports on, you know, on Wednesday morning, literally just over 12 hours after the full-time whistle had gone and, I put on straight away on Twitter. I, I couldn't resist having a comment on it because I just thought it was such a scandalous decision if it was going to happen. And almost everybody agreed with me. There was one Sunderland fan that kind of put it to me why he thought that was a good decision, which I didn't agree with at all, saying that it's part of a long-term progression plan. We need to move forward with somebody who's going to take the club forward a long, long term. Names on a list, is there? And yeah, but you can't if, if they start you, poorly next season. But you you've cannot, got to give them the opportunity. Exactly, you cannot dismiss a manager off the back of that. Not in a million years. Yes, there was probably a tinge of disappointment that they didn't, you know, see the job through and get promoted. Of course, any football fan of any club would be the same. But there was never in a million years that that was going to be the expectation of Sunderland at the start of July. Uh, at the end of July, when they for you know first kicked a ball to to restart their return in the championship, so to have finished in the top six is a hell of an achievement. With what we've said throughout the campaign, with a very very young team, a squad that's been absolutely decimated by injuries, they've been you know starved of their star player, their main striker Ross Stewart for virtually all of the season, pretty much. You know they've had centre back problems throughout the campaign. 
you look at the back four that started, you know, in those two legs, it was literally so mix and match, wasn't it? With so many players that shouldn't have been tasked with playing where they were for a game of such significance. And yet they lost the semi-final, you know, on aggregate by a goal. They were edged out by a goal. It, you know, they did struggle to get into any sort of rhythm the other night, but that was partly because Luton were so good. So you've got to credit Tony Mowbray. And, you know, if he gets the chance to bring in one or two, get Ross Stewart back, and, you know, in a, in a strange sort of way, and obviously it does sound harsh because you don't, you don't wish an injury on any player, but the fact he's been injured this season has boosted Sunderland's chance of keeping him this, this summer. So hopefully, hopefully he can, you know, get back fully fit and get back firing the goals in like he did so often, you know, in League One and then when he was fit this season. So there's a real platform for Tony Mowbray to build. And of course, Ahmad is going to leave a huge hole, but Sunderland have got so many good attacking players that they can call upon. Roberts, we know he's a master craftsman at this level. Jack Clark, you know, it's easy to forget how young he still is because he seems to be around forever. He's absolutely quality. And like I say, there's, you know, there's, there's options in the middle. The, obviously, they need to strengthen in some areas, but the, the bedrock of it is there. The, you know, the foundations are laid for Tony Mowbray to build something and he's more than deserved a chance to take this club forward. And, you know, if with a few signings, there's no reason why they can't be knocking on the door again next season. Only next season, there'll be an expectation to do it. So he's going to be under a little bit more pressure after what he's achieved this year. And potentially it could, you know, it could work out where he's a victim of his own success, possibly. If, you know, things don't quite go to plan because the expectations are going to rise. But as for what he did this season and this season alone, he did an absolutely sterling job. Yeah, I completely agree. Luton Town will play Coventry City, George. They beat Middlesbrough 1-0 at the Riverside Stadium. A fantastic performance from Cov, which saw them win 1-0 on aggregate. And I have to say, I'm going to get in there early. I did tell you so. The game played out exactly how I thought it would, with Middlesbrough imposing themselves on the ball, dominating possession. But they just lacked quality in the final third. And my fear with Middlesbrough was always that the injuries and the lack of momentum they went into the playoffs with, given how many changes they made for five or six games beforehand, it really can disrupt the fluency of a team when you are so reliant on just scoring more goals than the opposition. Let's be fair, Middlesbrough have never been great defensively under Michael Carrick. They have been a team that blows other teams away with their attacking movements, their patterns of play and their goal scoring and their home form. And if you take off that fluency, you're more likely to lose that edge in the attack than you are suddenly to become a brilliant defensive team, obviously. So I felt it was set up for Coventry to do what exactly what they did, which was get their noses in front in transition, which brilliant and typical Coventry goal with Giocara stretching in behind, getting the ball into Harmer. And he's just so well. There's three players on the line and the goalkeeper to be, and he flashes it into the back of the net. Fantastic finish, great move. And then Coventry defended for their lives. They kept their shape. And that is the sort of challenge they relish. It was the perfect game plan. It was set for a tee. I thought moving to a box midfield for the away game worked really well with, with Harmer and with Sheaf playing more advanced. And then you've got, um, you've got Kelly and you've got uh, Allen playing slightly deeper. I thought it really worked for Coventry, having that control in midfield to, to really counter. And it allowed Harmer to really go and press um, Hackney and Mowat in those deeper roles and once you get behind against Coventry I don't think there's, there's worse teams you could be against really you don't want to be chasing against Coventry because they can hit you on the break so easily they're, they're probably the best counter-attacking team in the division in my opinion and they're so happy out of possession it's a challenge they relish and I thought Coventry were really good value for it I think 
I don't know whether you'd criticise Michael Carrick for the amount of changes he'd made building up because if equally playing devil's advocate, if they got an injury, you'd be saying, well, why is he playing? And equally, it's not their fault they finished in the playoffs with nothing to play for with five or six games to go. But I do think the circumstance and the timings of their run meant that momentum had just dipped a little bit, that fluency had dipped, and they weren't quite ready to deal with what was such a resolute Coventry uh, defence. Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, for a game that was, you know, was only settled by one goal in a 1-0 away win, I thought it was a really, really good game for a game with only one well, goal. It was a really entertaining contest this one on Wednesday evening. And it was actually the first of the four playoff semi-finals that I've actually been able to sit down and watch without working at the same time. So it was kind of one that I was able to take the most notice of. And I thought it was a really, really good game. Coventry went there. You know, I, you know I've know, i made no secret of my admiration for Coventry throughout this season on this podcast. And people who listen regularly will know that. But I feared for them the other night. And I don't know why. You know, like you said there, it was kind of tailor-made for them. You tipped a Luton Coventry final from the outset of these playoff semi-finals. So fair play for that. And I went with Middlesbrough and Sunderland. I just thought Borough, after that 0-0 draw last Sunday at the CBS, would just have that little bit too much because of their thrust and their attacking firepower. But at the same time, in the back of my mind, I always thought, yeah, they are susceptible to conceding. And, you know, the, the signs of them being a little bit shaky with their early on, weren't they, with that under-hit pass from Zach Steffen, which very nearly allowed Jokeres in in the first half. But in the second half, I thought Coventry, once Gustavo Harmer had got the goal, they dealt with it so well. They, they they could have scored another one, let's be honest. They quite easily could have scored another one. Harmer obviously hit the bar with that free kick. And then there was another one where, I think it was it Jamie Allen, who just got his feet in a tangle when a low cross went into the yeah, box. Yeah, he couldn't. I think that was at nil-nil, that, that first one. I can't one. remember. The Jamie Allen one. The I'll Jamie Allen one was at nil-nil. A lot's happened since. Um, but no, it was, it was a really good professional performance from Coventry. But Middlesbrough, they... You know, they just didn't look as potent and as threatening as they did, say, four or five weeks ago. And yeah, it's easy to question it when things have not gone your way in the playoffs. Had Middlesbrough won that game 2-0 or 1-0 or whatever and progressed to Wembley, we wouldn't be having this, you know, this debate. But you do have to question why Michael Carrick made so many alterations. And I actually put the question out on our podcast page prior to the first leg saying, Borough fans, basically, were you at all concerned by the lack of momentum you've got going into these games? And all of them said, no, we're going to get the job done. Michael Carrick has done it to rest players, to save energy sort of thing, which you can understand. A lot of managers do it in this day and age when there's nothing to play for in the last three or four games. But you have to question, did it backfire? Because they didn't seem to click, did they? The fact they went two games... I just don't think you can turn it on and off like a tap. You can't. Not not at this stage with the playoffs. And, you know, we've seen this week in the Championship, League One and League Two, all all you know, all six semi-finals, the unpredictability of football and what can happen. But Borough just didn't really, you know, they didn't really get into any sort of rhythm, did they? Certainly, certainly in the second half, once Coventry got the goal, that almost felt like the tie was done and dusted. And, you know, when Harmon scored, there was still over half an hour left. And they didn't really, let's be honest, they didn't really lay a glove on Ben Wilson's goal, did they? Let's be honest, they didn't really do a lot to test him at all. And Coventry were, you know, fully justified of that victory. And I just think the way that Mark Robbins set his team up over the two legs with basically your two banks of central midfielders with, you know, Sheaf and Kelly, then Allen and Harmer, it just worked to perfection. It absolutely worked. And, you know, you, you, you look at that Coventry team and if you asked anybody to, you know, say, name me Coventry City's main man. They're going to either name Jokeres or Harmer. Everybody's going to do it. But when you look at the likes of Jamie Allen, Jake Bidwell, McFadden, 
you know, Ben Wilson in goal, they have all contributed to this in one way or another. It's been a complete team effort from back to front. They are such a solid unit. And that is tremendous credit to the manager because all, you know, what's gone off this season at the very beginning of it with the pitch, with the ownership issues, blah, blah, blah. They've stuck together as a team and they've been absolutely unified as one. And that is reflected when you look now, including the playoffs, uh, two playoff games, 22 clean sheets. It's a remarkable achievement. And, you know, you do have to say that this is set up for a very, very interesting final. Absolutely. Middlesbrough, reflecting on them, they were they were just missing the final ingredients to unlock the door, weren't they? They, were. they? they didn't score. I felt like they didn't score at this key moments when they were on top in the tie. That first 20 minutes, for example, at the Coventry, at the CBS, they were the better team. They pinned Coventry yeah. back. They didn't score in those crucial moments, did they? And you, there is no worse team in the Championship, I think, to be behind against Coventry because they can defend for their lives and they're so potent on the break. So... They, they just love to soak up the pressure, hit you on the break. And Middlesbrough just didn't have that that potency. They couldn't get, you know, you think, how many chances did Akpom or Archer actually have? You know, Archer had yeah. one chance in the second leg, which was offside, where it's he like, hit the bar from close range and should have scored. When you actually think about it, just sorry to interrupt, I'm just, you know, looking at Middlesbrough's results now. You know, they, they won two of their last 10 games at the end of the season. You know, eight regular league games, then the two semi-finals. They scored only one goal in the last four Two goals in the last they five. Out of steam, didn't they? Yeah, and the, and you know, the goal at Luton was obviously courtesy of a a real mistake by Ethan Horvath. So you know, the goals just dried up, having beaten Norwich by five and then Hull by three in those two home games in the space of about four or five days. Then suddenly they just seem to switch off, and you know they've always been a suspect to conceding goals. We, we've known that. I think they only kept one clean sheet in something like their last thirteen games, and that was obviously the first leg at Coventry. But you always expect them to score, and for whatever reason, in that second leg of the night, they just nothing clicked in that final third. Akpom was really, really quiet. Archer didn't really get much of a sniff. Exciting, exciting for next season. What they could do though with a full preseason under Definitely. Michael Carrick. There's no a reason for optimism. They will, the, they will be one of the favourites to win the championship. Hundred percent, I'm sure, alongside the the relegated Premier League teams. But it just wasn't to be, and I think they ran out of steam in the end. Right, George, we've got a brilliant game in store at Wembley in less than a week's time. Two teams that have had such meteoric rises. And as I said at the top of the the podcast, I think we should spend a moment reflecting on that, starting with Coventry. From League Two to the playoff final, one game away from the Premier League under Mark Robbins. A sensational story. And and perhaps the best thing for Coventry is, and for both teams this applies to actually, that there's no disaster, there's no inquest if they don't go up there's only you know the the most positive times for Coventry City are ahead regardless of if they win this game or not and that's a brilliant place to be it's an it's an unusual place to be in the championship in a a division that's run on financial gamble and risks and reward no matter who loses you'd fancy them to be stronger next season and particularly with Coventry given the off-field issues that have threatened to derail them but never have They've got new ownership. They've got stability. They've got that lease agreement to play at the CBS Arena. Even if they don't win this final, they've got so much to be pleased about. And I think if you look at the recruitment outside of Gyokerez and Harmer, the players that have sort of been the, the cornerstone of this team, particularly in the second half of the season where they've had this terrific run, which has catapulted them into the top six. You look at players like Norton Cuffey, who wasn't really playing much at Rotherham under 
Uh, Matt Taylor having done quite well in the initial period under Paul Warren. Luke McNally had barely kicked a ball all season for Burnley. Comes in, he barely misses a game. Slots straight into that right centre-back role, brilliant. Even some players like Jake Bidwell, who wasn't really playing that much at Swansea. Ben Sheaf, they took a gamble on from Arsenal. Players that weren't necessarily... Maybe not, not wanted is probably a bit strong, but certainly weren't playing to their true potential. Certainly weren't given confidence or belief by their managers to really... You felt that trust was missing. Well, they come to Coventry and Mark Robbins gives them that. He's tactically flexible. He's changed shape. He can play the 3-4-3, which they're very good at and played at times last season a bit more. And this year it's been more 3-5-2 with Godden up front when fit alongside Gyokerez. And they've done it all without Callum O'Hare as well, who arguably deserves to be in that same bracket of Gyokerez and Harmer when fully fit. You throw in the fact that let's not forget the start of the season with Simon Moore in goal. And Ben Wilson has come in and been absolutely terrific. It's a brilliant team built together on what I think everyone who loves the AFL and the Championship. It's a team that's built on those core principles, a brilliant manager. And as I say, no matter what happens in this this final, and you could say that for both teams, the better times are still ahead. Definitely. You know, both have been in absolutely, you know, in their element this season. They've they've had the time of their lives. The journey to this point has been so special for both clubs. And, you know, we, we've all seen the, the statistic that's gone round in the last few days that both of these teams were promoted out of League Two in 2018. They're now one game away from the Premier League. It's an absolutely remarkable story for both. Luton, you know, they had a, a torrid time. They they were, you know, there was one point where they were docked 30 points, I think it was. They went down to the conference. They they, they were only promoted out of the conference nine years ago. Coventry went through that spell of playing at Northampton. They played at Birmingham. They had to, they went down to League Two. They fought their way back. It's been an unbelievable last few years for both football clubs. And whoever wins this game, it is going to be the most amazing feeling. And I think it's I think it's actually a final where neutrals will genuinely be pleased whoever wins. I don't think there is. Really, you know, we, we've always had a final, haven't we, where in most cases there's always that one team that you think is just slightly better. I think there's very, very little to split these two. I really I do think, think for it's me, hard. What I like the most when you talk about two teams that everyone can get behind is the fact that when you think of the recent finals we've had, Aston Villa, Derby, yeah. um, even Huddersfield to a certain extent last year, or Forest, there's always been a team mm. where you feel like they could spiral if they don't win this final and go up. Yeah. Like the, the potential financial mm. ruin or whether more with Huddersfield last year, it was having their manager and their best players picked off. I don't think either of these teams will fall apart next season. I, I, both have got a really good chance yeah. of still being in the top six I mean, if they can keep key assets. But, you know, I'd probably say Coventry are probably the the, the more vulnerable of losing. Yeah, they are. But they're, they've got they're... their biggest asset tied down to a new four-year deal yeah, on the day have. of the playoff semi-final. So... I feel like that for me is what makes this such a great final. Yeah, definitely. For you know, if they don't go up, you know, the loser obviously. I think Coventry has got that little bit more to lose in the sense that they know Jokeres and Harmer are going to be targets for Premier League clubs this summer. Whereas in Luton's case, and I don't mean this with any disrespect, I don't think their best players will be as much risk of you know being sold. Coventry have got more to lose in that sense. But as I said on the podcast last week, and I've said it quite a few times this season, Mark Robbins is that club's biggest asset. He has done a phenomenal job. Yes, Rob Edwards has done a brilliant job this season. There's no doubt about that. But Robbins has, he's overseen this from the bottom. 
He has taken them all the way through, step by step, under his vision, under his management. You know, he's been there since day one on this fairy tale rise. Luton as a club, of course, have done it, but they've obviously done it with, you know, two or three different managers at the helm. So it's going to be a really interesting matchup, this one. Coventry, like I say, they've got a lot, you know, a lot riding on this in terms of the futures of their key assets, you know, Harmer, Jokeres. You know, you may even throw one or two others in there that might, you know, slip through the net potentially and, you know, be picked off by other clubs. But for Luton, I think they've got a better chance of retaining their key assets if it doesn't go their way. But when you look at this final and break it down, I think it is personally a very, very evenly matched, you know, sort of final. Both sides' defences, very resolute, very strong. They've both got goal scorers at the top end of the pitch. But I think it's in midfield where the main battle is going to decide this game. Luton's, you know, have got the likes of Rudik Mpanzu, Nikamba in the middle, Coventry. They've obviously got Gustavo Harmer, Jamie Allen, you know, Liam Kelly, Ben Sheaf. There is so much that could be decided in this midfield battle. And I think when you look at the two lineups that started their, their respective second legs, you know, this week, I can't see the manager being tempted to change anything, really. I think both of them went with what, you know, is their best 11 at this point in time. Obviously, Coventry would love to have Callum O'Hare in there. We know that's not going to happen. But for what they've got, that midfield battle against Luton's is so key because both teams are so strong in that area of the pitch. Obviously, Luton have got that energy to get around the pitch with Rudik Mpanzu and um, Marvellous Nakamba. You know, Coventry have got the you know, the technical ability of Harvard, they've got the know-how and the knowledge of, say, Liam Kelly, who's a leader. It's going to be a really interesting tactical battle, this one in the middle. And I'll be honest with you, and I know you're going to ask for it before we wrap this up for a score prediction, but at the moment, I am really struggling to, to pick one because I think this is going to be such a tight game between two teams that have been so good, but are very evenly matched. You've, you've kind of stole my thunder a little bit on the uh, tactical matchups, which I was going to come on because I, I completely agree with you that I'm very intrigued what happens in the centre of midfield. You've got two sets of players that really love to press. I'm slightly more intrigued than you, perhaps, about what Mark Robbins does with his starting eleven. Does he keep the box midfield? Does he go back to three-five-two and play with three of those in there? Maybe Kelly comes out for Godden. Does he, which would be matching Luton up, or does he think, you know what, I want that superiority in the middle of the pitch, and he stick with that three-four-three on that box midfield that works so well at Middlesbrough? Um, Luton probably not as much of a, a a threat in terms of in possession and dominating the ball and recirculating play than Middlesbrough. So maybe we'll fancy taking a little bit more of a risk and playing, um, playing with Gordon and going with three in midfield. But it's gonna be really interesting. I think you might see. Jordan Clark stay there instead of Alan Campbell. I think he might be tasked of following Harmer around personally. I think he's got the energy and the legs and the tenacity to maybe do a bit of a man-marking job on, on, on Gus Harmer. And then you've got Nakamba who will obviously sweep up in front of the back four and uh, Pelly Rudder Panzu who can go and press and can use his size and physicality to maybe try and run over someone like Kelly if he plays in that box midfield who, as good as he's been, he's not played a lot of football this season and equally is not. The, the biggest. He's not, you know, you could see Mpanzu physically dominating him if the if the right opportunity comes. And I think quite an obvious thing to say, but the first goal is so important in this game and, and more so than, than any other matchup, really, because both of these sides are so comfortable in their shape out of possession. Luton, just as good as Coventry at sitting in, frustrating, 
probably not quite as good on the counter-attack as Coventry are, in my opinion. I think Coventry are the best in the Championship in transition, but Luton are very good at that as well. And they've got forwards that you can you can pump it into Carlton Morris, Morris's chest and he'll hold it up, or you can spin it around around the back of the defence and, and Adebayo will stretch them with his pace in behind. So the first goal will be so important. I do think the midfield battle is where this will be won and lost, as you said, because I'm intrigued to see whether Robbins goes 4v3 or whether he matches them and, and sticks with that midfield three and goes with Matt Godden up front. I'm intrigued by the, the individual battles. If, if Clark does, you know, sort of go up against Harmer and, and try and chase him around, can he just mark Harmer out of the game, really? Because I think that would be as much of a benefit to Luton. You know, Jordan Clark's a good player, but stopping Gus Harmer is more important than Clark being free to play his game, in my opinion. And that that is the the challenge for Luton, and that is the the, the intriguing part of this tactical battle. If we look at Luton as well in isolation, because they deserve their moment in the uh, in the sun as well for what's been another season of massive improvement. I do think over the last five years, over the last nine years, should I say, last decade, they have been the model EFL club rising from the conference to the championship. And they are a team packed with quality, but also players on the rise too. You know, they've spent a little bit more and added with Carlton Morris this summer, Corley Woodrow to the squad. But they've also picked up players that, were not wanted and were unloved by their, their own clubs or players that were up and coming. You look at someone like Amari Bell that's been so good in that left centre-back channel and has played at wing-back as well. His versatility has been invaluable. He was released by Blackburn Rovers and and, and he, he was pretty awful at Rovers, to be completely honest. The amount of times I've heard fans talking about how they can't believe the player he's become. They picked up Adebayo for 250 grand from Walsall, which was a, a, real, a real gamble at the time because he'd had one decent half a season, I think scored about 12 goals, and he was picked up from Walsall, and now he's worth, you know, eight times that multiple, ten times that multiple. Uh, Pelly Ruddock and Panzu as well, who's, who's followed them all the way up. Alfie Doughty was released by Stoke, but he's been brought in and, and nurtured and looks like the perfect wing-back for this system. Tom Lockyer similarly was, was not playing a lot before he went there. It's there, There's so many similarities in these stories, but Luton even more so in the way that they've, they've rose in this last ten years. And they've built a side that's can do a bit of everything. It's a mixed style. They can play football, but they also can be direct. They can use their physical advantage on teams as they did on, on Sunderland and just squash them a little bit. But they can also play football and hold possession as well. They're both two really great teams and Luton deserve this moment as well for, for their meteoric rise. They certainly do. And I mean, I'm just going to run through their recent rise here in 2017-18, second in League Two. 2018-19, League One champions. 2019-20, 19th in the Championship. 2020, uh, 2020-21 in the Championship, 12th. Last season in the Championship, 6th. This season, 3rd. They have improved their league position year on year for the last five or six years. I think for both teams, it's, just sorry, while just while you were running through that, that gap from first season just staying up, but that jump to 12th yeah. for Coventry was similar as well in that second season. Yeah. That's been the real impressive peak for me. Yeah, definitely. Both both teams have had parallels in that sense where they've made tremendous amounts of progress in, you know, a relatively short space of time. And, you know, I've gone through Luton's recent rise there, Coventry. You know, they won the League One title on obviously points per game when the COVID season hit in 2019-20. They won the League One title. Then their first season back in the Championship, a very respectable 16th. The season after, obviously, last season, you know, a solid 12th. This season, 5th. You know, it's impressive progress and you know 
you've mentioned there obviously about both teams for you know for various reasons have been you know very good models to to follow for other clubs certainly Luton with the way they've recruited players I just think both teams can go into this you know obviously there's a massive massive you know but in terms of a club sense it's a life-changing opportunity really you know to get into the Premier League but really whoever loses this game and of course there's got to be a loser they can still be immensely proud of what they've achieved and it won't feel like that you know in the immediate aftermath the few days that follow it will hurt it will be painful but whoever does lose this final they are still heading on an upward trajectory without a doubt they've both you know been through the ringer let's be honest both clubs both sets of fans have had to put up with a lot of turbulent times in the last you know 10 15 years certainly Luton Town you know it went all the way down to non-league. It, you know, Luton historically are a big football club. So, you know, it's it's remarkable that they've been able to all of a sudden get into this position where now they are one game away from rubbing shoulders with the likes of Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, you know, the list goes on. But the same can be said for Coventry and whoever wins this game, for me, it will be the greatest championship fairy tale story that I think we've seen in recent years. Because, you know, last season, Huddersfield, you know, they'd been in the Premier League fairly, fairly recently. Nottingham Forest, obviously a big historic club with big expectations. Whereas these two at the beginning of the season, there was hope, there was confidence around the place. But if you'd have asked anybody at the start of the season to name your championship player final, nobody would have named these two to be in it. They, you know, we probably would have expected teams like Watford, West Brom, those sort of ones who have been in the Premier League a lot in recent years. Whereas these two, they've been down to the doldrums of English football. It's it's remarkable for both of them. And whoever wins this, my word, what what a night, what a summer they're going to have. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't I couldn't agree with that more. I'm slightly intrigued more than anything. I would love to see Luton go up just so I can see how the hell they're going to sort out that press room. To, to fit for the Premier League because my word, I haven't seen a press room as small in any Championship ground, and I've been to obviously nearly all of them. Is it bigger than so, Barnsley's Porter Cabin? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Quite by a distance, oh, by a distance. So, how are they going to get that ready in less than in you know in, in about six weeks, eight weeks? There's going to be a lot of a lot of improvement needed. You know, they're going to have to spend some serious money. And obviously they're building a new stadium, so it's all pointless anyway. But that that but ground you, was really strong. Can't to believe it. As somebody actually that. said to me the other day, you've got to go through the old lady's next door living room just to get into the away end. It's yeah. it's remarkable. It would be it, no, neither have I. It would be one of the, the you know we you know not sort of mocks, but we you know everybody had a chuckle about it at the fact that Bournemouth's ground was a Premier League ground, and obviously now is it's going to be again for another season. But Luton's, as historic and as unique as it is, you just you cannot imagine the, the fact that next season, if the rights remain the same, Kenilworth Road could be included in FIFA. That's how bonkers it is. <laughs> With obviously That's Premier League grounds getting in it. But, you know, Coventry in that sense of the, of the stadium have obviously got the better infrastructure ready for the Definitely. Premier League. But, you know, both teams have earned this opportunity and both of them will head into that final as as, you know, feeling very confident they can win it. I don't think on this occasion there is an underdog. I think they are so evenly matched, even though obviously Luton finished third and Coventry finished fifth. George, nail your colours to the mast. 
who is going to win the Championship playoff final? This is really, really difficult. Last year, I struggled when it was Huddersfield versus Forest, and I just fancied Forest based on the momentum that had carried them in over the last few months. This year, I really, really can't decide. And, you know, whoever I've picked you know. to lose, I'm going to get shouted at by respective fans of that club, and I understand it. But at the end of the day, there has got to be a winner. And you know what? I do. I am going to go for a very, very slender Coventry City triumph. I think they're going to do it. I hope they do it personally. I've, you know, I've been so impressed with what's happened to that club this season. And you know, I just think after beating Borough the way they did it, I think they're going to be so confident. As Luton are getting past Sunderland, I fancy Coventry. I just think Jokeres, Harmer, that might just give them the edge, but it's going to be very tight. I'm going to go for Coventry to win it 1-0. I obviously backed Luton at the start of this playoff run, and so I've got every reason to stick with them. You you cocked it up with both of your semi-finals. I did. So you, you can take I your can cock it up again. So I'm, Luton, I'm, congratulations on going up, probably. I'm not going to sway away from Luton because I backed them at the start, and I do genuinely still think that they will edge this game out. It's going to be really tight. I do think it will be a 1-0 game, regardless who wins it, because... I think it will be really difficult for the other to cope with the with with trying to break them down and chase the game and, and, and dislodge what is two brilliant teams out of possession, but equally keep them quiet on the counter-attack because both teams can cause issues in transition, which we've touched on. I'm going to go with Luton to win 1-0. And I think it's going to be really tight. It wouldn't shock me if this went to extra time, but I do think Luton will just get their noses in front and I think they will win the game. I think... Luton have got a better team in terms of... If you take Harmer and Gjokeris out of it, I think Luton's players across the 11 on average, if you gave everyone an average score, I think the average score of Luton's players out of 10 is higher than Coventry's. But I think Coventry have got the two best players on the pitch, if that makes any sort of sense. Gjokeris and Harmer are the best two yeah, players on the pitch out of both 11s. If you can nullify those Luton two players, strong, yeah. or even one of them, I think Luton have got better players outside of those two, ultimately. And I think that that's what, for me, makes me think if, if you know, if Jordan Clark could do a job on, on um, Harmer, for example, or, you know, they can keep Gjokka as quiet. Do I think Luton's players are slightly above the, the level of Coventry's players outside of those two? I do, just about. But I do think they've got the best two players on the pitch and the match winners. And that's what was enough against Middlesbrough. And it might well be enough against Luton. But I just feel like, who Luton knows? have got slightly edge, slight edge in that regard, and, and that's all I can pin this on because it is so so tight between these two teams. I think it will be one nil either way because of how good each team is off the ball, and I'm gonna stick with what I went with before the start of the playoffs, and I'm gonna say Luton Town will win one nil. It's it's gonna be interesting, that's for sure. Obviously, we've both tipped there one nil either way, and you've kind of set it up there about. Obviously, saying that Coventry maybe not quite as strong if you took Jokeres and Harmer out of their eleven, and you've kind of te- teed that up nicely for a for a social media post that I've got planned for later in the week, where I'm going to put to you to name a combined eleven. We're going to pick one between us and use that, and I'm sure that'll get some some interesting comments. We'll probably get shouted at, like I've been shouted at over the weekend. And if you want to go and check out why I've been shouted out, head to our Twitter page, and you'll probably you're rightly shouted at. Yeah, fair enough. I'll take it. But I'm not bothered after the weekend I've had. I don't care. Um, I, I think it's important to say we, we both really like both of these teams as neutrals. We've got no vested interest in we this do. game. 
We just like it as neutrals you know, and, and I, as producers of this podcast. Can I, can I be honest? This is how hyped I am for this playoff final. Even though I've got no connection with either club, I even requested the day off so I could sit down and properly watch this for our podcast coverage. This is how keen I am for this. You know, I just think both sides have had such magnificent fairy tale seasons. Both have exceeded expectations. And like I said a few minutes ago, both sets of fans have been through the ringer for a very long time. You know, you can remember that iconic picture of Coventry fans sat on the hill at Northampton, you know, overlooking six fields, watching games. You know, I remember the days when they got Leon Clark up front back then. They played on a Sunday because because uh, Northampton had the ground on the Saturday. Luton went all the way down to, you know, the conference premier as it was then. They were docked 30 points at one stage. Both clubs have been through the ringer. They've had so, so many off-field issues. And whatever the outcome, you can guarantee on Saturday, both sets of fans are going to have an amazing day out. Wembley's going to be packed out. It's going to be brilliant. I'm really looking forward to watching it. And you know what? We've both backed different teams to win, but based on what both seasons have had, uh, both seasons both teams have had, all I say is, may the best team win. Absolutely. And I think that's a great final word and a great place to leave it. And we look forward to recapping this podcast as well. There will be a slight break potentially before we can get a chance to review because I get married on Sunday. So Saturday night for me will be sat watching the playoff final in a bar in York uh, and then getting married on the Sunday before heading down to Wembley on Monday for the League One playoff final. And that's where both of us will be going. Yes, exactly. We both so will be. We're having our own day out. There'll be a little, bit, little pause. We won't have our immediate reaction straight away because it depends what uh, m- m- what movement and what spaces I've got in my calendar as a married man um, immediately after. We've got a little break before we go on our honeymoon, so we might be able to squeeze the podcast in early. Next, we'll find an hour somewhere. We'll yeah, find latish next. Late next week, we should be able to find an hour to get our thoughts across. And also, we'll be doing a podcast reviewing our 1-24 to pre-season predictions oh, as well. Which God, I'm going to be laughed at again, aren't I? Oh, yeah, no. before we take a little bit of a break for the summer and, and recharge those batteries. But can't wait for the final. It's going to be brilliant. Thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast this season and, and this preview as well. Make sure you are subscribed on Twitter and Instagram at ChantChatPod24. A massive thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Cards Accepted, for their support this season. Make sure you go and check them out. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the final, and we'll catch you next time for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views, and debate from England's second tier.